Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. The Alouettes haven't been to the Grey Cup since they last won it in 2010. They are one win away. This is what we wanted, right? This is this is a chance to, to knock off the dynasty, really, in the CFL. Tough environment, um, but uh, if we want to win a championship, we got to go through them. So, no disrespect to the two teams in the East and my lovable co-host, Enoch Wamba, but... This is the game that a lot of people had circled on their calendars for a long time, myself included. BC going to Winnipeg. In order to be the man, you have to beat the man. They have that opportunity in the defending champs' house. These two teams last met in a West final in 1985, and we're going to get one in 2022. I am joined by former Bomber current Argo, uh, Enoch Mwamba, and uh, Darren Bombing, who does all things for Bonfire Sports, and you can find his work at bonfiresports.ca. And when, when I look at this game, and teams played three times, you know, 2-1, uh, everything was relatively close when, when you look at them. I, I, I think this game is really all about the two best players on the field, arguably the two best players in the league. Nathan Rourke and Zach Claros and Zach being magical in playoff games. Does that continue against a really stout defense? And is Nathan Rourke healthy enough to be as magical as he was in the regular season? That's how I see it. Is there an aspect to this matchup that I'm missing by being, you know, a sports journalist and only thinking about the quarterbacks, Darren? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to ignore the quarterbacks in this particular matchup, right? These are the two best quarterbacks in the league. They're arguably and and probably the two best players in the Canadian Football League today. And, uh, you know, interesting how, you know, one is is so young, so electric and uh, so dynamic and really kind of uh, sparking some magic in Vancouver. And then the other being someone that is kind of rejuvenated his career and now in Winnipeg five and zero, including great cups in the CFL postseason, wearing blue and gold in, in Zach Kolaris. It's, it's going to be fascinating to see these two head to head once again, this year, Winnipeg has shown uh, an advantage um, in those head to head matchups, not just, with the W's, but in, uh, you know, the way that they did it in those meaningful games. Um, but, you know, I, I'm with you, Donovan. I, I think it's going to be very difficult to look past the quarterbacks uh, just because they are the the two marquee names. Enoch, what I love about both uh, defensive coordinators and really the staffs is their approach defensively is we're going to make you play left-handed. We're going to take away the things that you like and force you to beat us in ways and with people that you don't generally feel accustomed to. When you look at these two offenses and these two players, build the defensive game plan in terms of how you attack uh, both on this weekend. You know what? When I'm facing Zach Kolaris, I'm looking at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, I Zach Kolaris is at his best when he's able to improvise, when he's able to get out the pocket and look down the field and make unbelievable throws that are just – heart crunching and you know just demoralizing for defenses that play against them and so to me really you want to keep Zach Lars in the pocket and you want to play extremely tight defense while neutralizing the run game as well when we look at the the BC lines we're looking at Nathan Vork that team is going exactly where he's going to take them and obviously if you watched last game 
you see that he was limping. He's a fighter. He's a warrior. But at the end of the day, you want to get him out the pocket. You want to make him move his feet and force him to use his legs. Now, he is able to beat teams without having to use his legs, but you have to force him to do so. And the other thing that I think that too many teams uh, ignore when they play the BC Lions is that running game. James Butler, by far, to me, is one of the best running backs in this league. I, we always talk about Kadeem Carey. We talk about the running game that Calgary has. But when you look back at what happened last week, as well as this whole season, James Butler has been Nathan Rourke's best friend and anyone that was under center, actually, in BC. Um, and so, to me, you look at James Butler and you move uh, Nathan Rourke's feet and you have a good chance at beating the Lions. It's so fascinating that when you look at these quarterbacks, you're saying the young athletic one is the one you want to force to use his legs given uh, the injury. This is a guy when he was coming through the NFL draft combine process, teams were working him out at other positions because he was so uh, athletic. And and now he has come a long way in terms of deciphering uh, defenses, getting the ball out of his hands quick. And you're saying, now we got to get this guy on the move. In terms of strategy, would you foresee a scenario where Winnipeg is overloading one side in terms of their blitz pressure, hoping that he you know, uses those legs and has to evade the pocket one way, but rolling coverage that very same way to make him throw through bodies? Now, what, what I said, what I talked about is easier said than done because as we often talked about, uh, DB, throughout the regular season, Nathan Rourke can get the ball in, his, in and out of his hand as fast as anybody in this league. And I haven't seen anyone do it as fast as he has over the last decade in the CFL. So it is hard to get him to move around. So the best thing to do, really, like you talked about, is probably overload one side of the field. But the good thing about Nathan Rourke, that he's able to read the whole field and he's able to go for to second and third read. But Winnipeg is going to have to make him go through a second, third, and hopefully even fourth read before he's able to get rid of the ball. You mentioned he's got to read the whole field. You played them early, and you said, wait, wait, hold on, pump the brakes. He's getting to one, maybe to two. His reads are very easy. He's not playing, you know, master's level calculus back there. Is the Nathan Rourke, although injured, that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are seeing now in November a different player than they won they saw at the beginning of the year and beat when he was healthy? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think Nathan Rourke has evolved over the course of the season, and we played him quite early in the season. I believe it was week two, um, really early in the season. And uh, there was a lot of things that he wasn't doing uh, then that he's doing now. And so he's growing, he's grown quite a bit. He's, he's matured. He's evolved right before our eyes. And I told you, he's won me over. Uh, I remember you jumped on his bandwagon quite early, and, and I was kind of hesitant to do so, but he is that guy. He is extremely talented, like you talked about, extremely athletic, extremely vibrant, and he can hurt you with his legs. But his biggest strength, DB, uh, and Darren, his biggest strength is above his shoulders. The fact that he's able to read defenses and let go of that ball early and quick. He can decipher defenses and just know exactly where to go with it. You know, Darren, early in the year, um, the reads were self-evident. He had guys wide open all over the place. When you look at the big throws that he made uh, against Calgary to get here, he was making some tight window throws. Where there was great coverage, and it was just 
you know, great offense beating uh, great defense. What did you see in terms of the level of accuracy and efficiency Rourke had to display uh, to get past a really good Calgary defense? Those words hit the nail on the head. It was accuracy um, and, and efficiency at its at its highest. What I was really impressed with was some of those second down conversions or second and long situations that Nathan Rourke was not phased by in any way, shape, or form. He found tight windows. There was, uh, you know, I think it was Alexander Hollins who had a phenomenal catch in a tight window on second and long that kept the chains moving, led to another scoring drive for the BC Lions. Hollins led the way, not in receptions or yardage, but he did with three second down conversion catches. Uh, to me, that chemistry that maybe we haven't seen between those two individuals, Nathan Rourke and Alexander Hollins was so, um, you know, on the surface or, or so prevalent to me, uh, in that West semifinal win. I think the key, you know, trying to kind of just go off of what Enoch was talking about is for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers defense to make sure they make Nathan Rourke uncomfortable. You know, Rick Campbell, um, talked about Nathan Rourke and, and, you know, his maybe limited abilities on the field says he is not injured quote unquote injured, but he is hurting. You see that inability to burst out of the pocket escape from pressure in the pocket, the same way that he did prior to the injury. And I think for the Winnipeg blue bombers is you do things to confuse him and allow your athletic playmakers inside the box, make things difficult for Nathan Rourke. One of those playmakers is Brian Burnham. Comes off the six-game injured list. Looked like he was there the entire time. Uh, looked like the broken wrist wasn't impacting him. Enoch, he's someone who doesn't need separation. He always finds a way to win at the top of his route. How frustrating is that defensively? And is there anything you can do, given the fact that you know he's able to win those 50-50 balls all the time and sometimes pay a price to do it. I mean, it's extremely frustrating, DB. Uh, we talk about making Nathan Rourke uncomfortable. We talk about you know getting him to get to a second and third read. Well, that forces a defense to play a lot more man-to-man, and I anticipate the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to do so. I mean, they have a front that is able, capable to get to the quarterback without having to bring an extra uh, blitzer or a DB to, to the party. Now, you got to play tight man-to-man, and doing so, guess what? Now Nathan Rourke has an opportunity to get the ball to the uh, Brian Burnhams and, and the Rhymes and the Hatchers of the world. These guys have been playing extremely well for uh, Nathan Rourke all year round. And sometimes you want to think about, well, look, it wasn't Rhymes, was it Hatcher? Obviously, we know Burnham is Burnham. But the truth of the matter is that Nathan Rourke is that guy. Nathan Rourke makes guys that are around him that much better i mean he puts balls where only the receivers can catch it and when you got a guy like burnham like you talked about db um anywhere around him his radius is so big that he's capable of making those spectacular catches that you end up having to watch over and over and over again throughout the duration of the week one of the things that worked in rourke and bc's favor is you know they're playing on a relatively fine surface the surface it was indoors uh there's no element issues that may not necessarily be the case uh, in Winnipeg uh, outdoors. 
Darren, what are you expecting uh, weather-wise to see uh, on Sunday? And how, if at all, do you think that will impact the game? Well, the narrative all week this week will be the weather conditions and ball control and winning the line of scrimmage and, and those sorts of things. I think the BC Lions will come in prepared uh, the way James Butler and really the entire offensive front of the BC Lions, the way that they played in the West semifinal uh, against a very, very talented Calgary Stampeders defense, they played very well. And uh, I thought they brought a physical element that maybe they hadn't shown before. Was it because Calgary wasn't expecting James Butler to be such a heavy involved piece? Or was he just the perfect complement to uh, uh, Nathan Rourke that really just started heating up more and more as the game went on? Um, no doubt the weather will play a factor. I don't think it will limit uh, the offensive coordinators from throwing the football, but those opportunities might be a little bit more few and far between that all said we talk about all of these offensive playmakers Enoch you know this struggle so often we talk about the guys with the catches and the yards and the touchdowns but you got to look at the playmakers on the other side of the football and there's one name in particular in Winnipeg that I don't think enough people know of yet and they will and that is defensive back Dietrich Nichols plays the halfback spot on the boundary side of the field he is somebody that is really continued to elevate elevate his game over last season and into this season, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many others, he is one of the best defensive backs in the CFL today. Him with safety, uh, Brandon Alexander brings a real intimidation factor with his physical uh, abilities and, and uh, intimidation from safety. I, I think you add that into a mix uh, going up against some talented BC Lions receivers. It's going to be a star-studded uh, star aerial attack and defense in the Western Final. Well, that's a great segue because um, it is known that uh, Enoch has in his contract, if we don't talk defense in the first 15 minutes of any breakdown, that he just leaves. He, he will protest. So let's Thank give you. the defenders some love and move off of the quarterbacks. Uh, Enoch, if there is a guy for you on each respective defense who offensive coordinators should be circling this week uh, and putting the laser pointer on them, and more importantly, fans of that respective team should look for and say, he's a key indicator on whether or not my team is going to be successful, who would those players be? Uh, it, when I'm looking at the defense in Winnipeg, I'm looking at the Blue Bombers, I'm looking at the front four, in particular, Willie Jefferson. Willie Jefferson has, because of we've been so uh, so lucky to watch him have the, the, the amazing seasons that he's had the last few years, when he has a season like a quote-unquote regular season this past season, you feel like it's just it's just a decent season. But he is that type of player that can impact and change games. So I'm looking at Willie Jefferson in particular, but I'm looking at pressure and outlet. I'm looking at Willie Jefferson. I'm looking at Adam Big Hill. I talk quite a bit about James Butler. I talk quite a bit about how his running game is effective and how we often, you know, leave him and not really talk about him when we talk about the best run game and, and running backs in the CFL. But he... What he does extremely well as well is the fact that he's able to always provide an outlet for Nathan Rourke. And Adam Big Hill and the other 
uh, linebackers of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers need to do a good job of keeping an eye on them. Now it's a tough job to do, knowing that Nathan Rourke can always dink and dunk right behind the linebackers as well, but you cannot lose the running back uh, of the BC Lions because he will hurt you. He has an amazing ability to create yards even after contact and uh, turn you know, short passes into long gains. And so I'm looking at pressure and outlet. Willie Jefferson, as well as Adam Big Hill, have to have a huge game in order to neutralize that BC offense, especially if the weather is going to be a factor. Now we go back to the other side, the BC lines, I'm looking at the secondary. They are going to have to plaster. I talked about the ability that the, the, the unique ability that Zach Laris has of getting out of the pocket and making just magic happen. And for him to be able to do that or to, for the, uh, the BC Lions DB, defensive backs to be able to stop him from making that magic happen, they're going to have to plaster. That means as soon as he gets out of the pocket, as soon as Zach Kolaris is out of the pocket, because he doesn't necessarily, doesn't always get out of the pocket and use his legs to get a first down. He gets out of the pocket and looks downfield. He's one of the best at it in the CFL, and he always makes that magic happen. And in order to stop them, they're going to have to plaster, keep their eyes on the receivers, which involves a lot of discipline because you are going to be tempted to go uh, to leave your man and go into the uh, into the quarterback. And so defensive backs from the BC lines, as well as the outlet and pressure from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers is going to be key to stop the opposing offenses. Now, I want to spend some time focusing on that Winnipeg offense. And the formula for this mini dynasty for the Bombers has been pretty simple. They went into every playoff game knowing we have a better defense, we have a better run game. And we just have to figure out the rest, which they have. I, I don't know if they can as confidently say they have a better defense because BC's is outstanding. But I don't think anyone comes in saying they have a better run game, both in the amount that they run and, and their ability to run. The, the biggest question when they decided to move off of Andrew Harris and get younger at the position but stay Canadian was, yes, Andrew Harris – his age, you know, do you think he's going to make it through five months of the season and be ready for 18 games? Probably not. But one thing you did know is you could put him on layaway and he'd be really valuable and perform in the playoffs. Now we're here, Darren, that young group of backs that Winnipeg has had, which has stepped up over the latter half of the season. This is their biggest test. Do you think the Bombers' run game is good enough to be able to keep them on schedule offensively. Well, before I do, you mentioned Andrew Harris and, and him getting back to health over in the East. I'm going to be watching him really closely. Talk about an X factor in that Eastern final. Uh, he'll have a chip on his shoulder, no doubt, to, to show he's got uh, gas left in the tank uh, on a way to uh, a potential Grey Cup appearance. But in Winnipeg, yeah, absolutely. It started when Paul Apolise was the offensive coordinator here. His understudy, Buck Pierce, really kind of took those same reins and, and ran with it and was the offensive coordinator to the 108th Grey Cup championship in Hamilton a year ago. And going into 2022... Yes, it was very, very different without Andrew Harris being uh, the straw that stirs the drink. So often the cliche used in describing the offense here in Winnipeg, but it was a great near seamless handoff to a young Canadian fellow Winnipegger, fellow Oak Park high schooler from here in Winnipeg in Brady Oliveira, who maybe started the season a little bit slow or the Blue Bombers offensive run game as a whole started the season slow, but it definitely started to uptick as the games went on. And in that regular season finale, 
uh, Brady Oliveira breaking the 1,000 yard rushing mark, coming just the fourth uh, Canadian tailback to do that since the year 2000, joining Andrew Harris, Jerome Messam, and John Cornish. Uh, Winnipeg always dictates things at the line of scrimmage. That strong run game allows Zach Kolaris to do some of those things, Enoch, you touched on better than anybody in the CFL, and that is extend plays with his legs, move the pocket, roll out. He doesn't always take off and, and pick up those first downs, although he is uh, you know beyond capable to do that, but just making defenses cover for four, five, and six seconds, which is, for the uninitiated, forever. And that uh, ability of Kolaris, uh, and, and to do that is because defenses do need to remain disciplined, not leave their man, um, and, and continue to guard downfield. It makes Winnipeg a handful to deal with uh, when the run game is complementing uh, an offense uh, led by Zach Kolaris. One man you don't want to leave downfield is Dalton Schoen, who somehow, you know, finds a way to, to get wide open on deep plays week after week after week on route to leading the league in receiving yards. And I've seen Nick Dempsey make big plays in a big spot in the postseason. I'm looking forward to seeing Dalton get his opportunity. What do you expect to see from the CFL rookie who's, who's not exactly a rookie by age, but certainly by experience? I'm, I'm looking to see him grow. I'm looking to see him mature. At the end of the day, the truth is, when he came into this league as a rookie at the beginning of the season, nobody knew his name. Nobody knew what he was capable of and what he, he could do on the football field. And as the weeks progressed, he kept showing every team and the whole league, as a matter of fact, that he is a guy that is worth considering when you're game planning against this offense. And so he kept doing it over and over and over again. And now the truth is going into this um, Western Conference Finals, it is not a secret. Dalton Schoen is going to be part of that offensive attack, that game plan, and um, I'm looking to see how he's going to react knowing that he's not going to be a surprise anymore. He's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be something that, you know, the BC Lions are not going to expect, and so they're going to keep a close eye on him. Now I really want to see him defend himself when he hit the target is really on his back now. Before we put the West conversation to bed, you know, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't put the Calgary Stampeders season to bed. And maybe the Bo Levi Mitchell era with the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, 11 seasons with Calgary did uh, Bo have. I found it you know, not a coincidence that when he spoke post-game, he was not wearing any Calgary Stampeders team issue gear. He had the OVO vest on. It was red, but it was, certainly it wasn't from the Stamps. And he essentially said as much, you know, if you pay one guy, you're not expecting the other guy to be there. Uh, Darren, how do you evaluate this last chapter, theoretically, uh, with Bowen Calgary? And what do you expect to see in his next chapter in the league? Well, I think one thing everybody who watches Bo Levi Mitchell can agree on is that he believes in himself and confidence fuels everything about him. And I think that's a very positive thing to have, especially at the quarterback position. Yeah, I noticed that too in his final press conference uh, in Vancouver following the game. You know, a C on his hat, but not a Calgary Stampeders issued piece, you know, wearing the team colors, but not the team insignia. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, he is going to definitely look for the right opportunity. And in the CFL, with quarterback being such a critical, important piece, you really have to wonder if there's a team out there, even a team that's in the playoffs 
today or in the semifinal playoffs this past weekend, a team that's already competitive, a team that's already vying for a Grey Cup, if they're willing to make a change or uh, add to their quarterback stable with somebody that has shown the ability to win and win consistently uh, with Bo Levi Mitchell. It's going to be a fascinating winter. And of course, as we've seen with players in the past on expiring contracts and writing on the wall, the way Bo Levi Mitchell put it, um, that their time at their current team is over. If a trade can happen and maybe some early negotiations on a contract with a new club. It will be a fascinating uh, winter. Obviously, you know, you have someone like Vernon Adams Jr. Uh, looking uh, to get one of those uh, musical chairs. Cody Fajardo's time in Saskatchewan might be done. He sees himself as a starter. Uh, what is Jeremiah Masoli's rehab like, and is he ready to start uh, the season? And then who is the lead quarterback in Hamilton, and will their quarterback be someone who's already in the room? Fascinating conversation, but uh, let's leave it with the conversation of the quarterbacks still on the field and the team still vying uh, to hoist the Grey Cup. Uh, your prediction as to what you think is going to happen on Sunday is what? Enoch, we'll start with you. I am going to go with the underdog. I'm going to go with the BC Lions going into Winnipeg and, uh, you know, just making it happen out there. I believe that uh, the outlet of James Butler who, um, you know, what he provides the outlet for Nathan Rourke is going to be the difference in the game. Um, I think that Nathan Rourke is going to remain calm under pressure. It's going to be something that he's never experienced before. I mean, this is the most pressure that he's ever going to, that he's ever seen in his young career. Um, you know, the Western Conference semifinals in winter peg at that, it's going to be loud. It's going to be a lot, but I really think that ultimately he rises to the occasion and uh, he makes it happen for his team with the help of all his uh, complimentary receivers and uh, Brian Burnham for sure. Speaking of rising to the occasion, we had amazing scenes in, in BC with the Lower Bowl sold out, the fans engaged. I, I think the team that led the league in uh, season ticket attendance this year, Winnipeg has a fan base that says, okay, we'll, we'll show you something. Uh, we'll show you what a playoff atmosphere looks like. I may step up to the occasion. Uh, Darren, what do you expect to see? Uh, on the field between these two. Yeah, there was 30,000 in Vancouver last weekend. There will be in excess of 30,000 at IG Field for the West Final. And it says it right on, uh, you know, the barricade between the field and the stands, home of the CFL's loudest fans. That could be the biggest challenge Nathan Rourke faces, or one of them is that volume level at IG Field. I like to refer to it as the Madhouse on Matheson, Chancellor Matheson Boulevard, uh, where IG Field is located at the University of Manitoba. That sound will be a factor. Um, I picked both underdogs in the semifinal games this past weekend, and I was wrong on both accounts. I'm going to go with the favorite and the team that I cover closely here in Winnipeg with the Blue Bombers. I think, you know, Nathan Rourke can absolutely be an X factor and, and change the potential outcome of this game. But Winnipeg is just so good at home. They are battle tested. Uh, and again, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, Zach Kolaris, 5-0 and in postseason games, including Grey Cups, wearing blue and gold. I think they go out there and punch their ticket to a third straight appearance in the Grey Cup. Oh, man, I can't wait. Uh, both of these teams play so clean. Winnipeg plus 14 in turnover ratio, BC plus 18. But beyond that, in the X's and O's, you just get 
the feeling that this game is going to have some drama in it. And it might be potentially either an affirmation on an ongoing dynasty or a turning of the page. Reminds me of Jordan versus the Lakers in the NBA Finals. Uh, we'll see how this one goes down, but certainly going to be a CFL classic. Thanks for breaking it down for us, fellas. From coast to coast, Canadians have every reason to get outside and explore. That's where CF Moto Canada comes in. Value priced and with an outstanding five-year warranty, CF Moto ORVs are the best equipped on the market and the perfect ride to help Canadians experience more. Whether for work or play, there's a CF Moto side-by-side, ATV, or motorcycle to satisfy any outdoor enthusiast. Find your ride by visiting cfmoto.ca. In the East Division Final, we do not have a rematch of Tiger Cats Argos, which Enoch was on his knees praying for every night this past week. But we do have Toronto versus Montreal in the East Final. First time since 2012. And I'll have to say, like I know historically Argos and Ticats have been the rivalry. But from my childhood, Argos Owls in the East Final was a thing. And so I, I'm, I'm somewhat nostalgic that we've got it back uh, once again. We have back with us Marshall Ferguson to help us break it down. And, and maybe, you know, before we get to the player that is rested uh, and has lots of energy for this conversation with this game, we'll talk, Marsh, about those articles coming off of bye. And quite frankly, I don't know how to adjudicate how I should feel about them coming into this game because I'm not really sure what their two deep is going to look like and how healthy some of the names on that two deep are. Do you have a real assertion if the Argos have been putting some older players on layaway for this back end of the season, knowing that they'd be in this spot? Or if they are limping through the season and just duct taping their best players, hoping that they can give them eight more quarters of good football? Great question. I got to be careful what I say here with the big man on the other side of the Zoom. But uh, but no, I I think that when I saw the strategy they were using down the stretch in Toronto, it made a lot of sense to me. And obviously, when you talk about eight quarters, it's like you blink and those quarters are gone. Like, especially if you're talking about four quarters at a time, obviously, as the playoffs are. So trying to protect your guys and make sure they are as fresh as humanly possible uh, for four quarters of football, it's noticeable, I think. Like, I, I always notice it when we go into the division finals, the teams that have the bye. And it's not everybody. Don't I'll say that. Like, you don't go into these games and, and see, oh, my goodness, this team looks like they're all running, you know, two-tenths of a second faster in the 40, and they all look like they can bench three more reps. It's not that. It's just there's a couple of guys, whether it be a pass rusher off the edge, who just bursts off the ball. And you're like, that wasn't last week in the Eastern semifinal where guys were going directly from having to scrap to get in the playoffs to having to fire off the ball in a, in a playoff game. So you could see it there. You could see it in a receiver that catches the ball in the open field and has that little bit of extra burst. I think the Argonauts were being very cognizant, likely for Ryan Dinwiddie of what's worked in the past in his time in Calgary as well and his time in Montreal. Like he's picked up things from bouncing around the Canadian Football League that as a head coach – going into this game with lessons learned, by the way, from 2021 of what worked and what did not work. I think that there's a little bit of wisdom that is gained uh, from those situations. So, yeah, I I would be very surprised if Toronto does not come out with a lot of energy at home after waiting a while to play some meaningful football, basically since week 20 in Montreal. It is the proverbial rest or rust 
conversation. I would always take rest personally because rust hopefully comes off in about a quarter. But Enoch, you're in that spot. Marsh mentioned 2021, which might be a bit of a swear word in your building given how the East final finished. The approach from last year to this year in the lead up of the game and now in the work week getting ready for the game, how similar or different are they from what the squad did a year ago? I mean, it, it's uh, it's somewhat similar, um, but at the same time, we, uh, we've we gained a lot of experience. Um, you talked about it at the top, uh, talking about, you know, hey, we kind of wanted to play against the black and yellow, but listen, um, you know, it doesn't matter now that they're going to be watching us from home. Um, you know, we're, 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 we're still excited to play this game, even though they're not going to be there and play against a, a really good Montreal team that um, is going to come here. And I anticipate actually them, whether they're flying in guys or, or you know, busting some, some, you know, Montreal fans over, it's going to be an exciting game. And uh, I know that our ownership in, uh, in Montreal is going to do everything that they can to uh, uh, try and pack Vimo as well. Uh, Fletcher and Stanback, Stanback and Fletcher, uh, we heard those names constantly go for over 140 against Hamilton. To me, they were the most important uh, alouettes on the field offensively. Uh, are you tired of hearing those names already as you prep for this game? How big is the influence of uh, that multi-headed monster of a backfield? Well, I think that the receiving core opens up you know, the, the lanes interiorly um, for the running backs. Um, but I believe that, uh, you know, those guys definitely do a really good job every time they get the balls in their hand. Um, you know, they, they, they each do uh, things uniquely well. You know, Fletcher is, is extremely elusive and got some great speed on him. Uh, and obviously, Stanback, we, we know Stanback very well. He's a guy that's, um, you know, fast enough um, to, to run with the ball and gain some yards, but also very physical and uh, able to break a lot of tackles. And so um, those guys definitely do a lot of um, damage whenever they touch up the ball. Um, but more than anything, you know, you got to account for, you know, the receiving core. You got to account for 87. You got to account for nine. And, uh, you know, even, you know, the rookie 81. So um, they're doing a really good job of, um, you know, uh, utilizing all their weapons. And Trevor Harris is who is, you know, one of the most accurate and efficiency um, in the CFL has been doing a great job of, you know, getting extremely comfortable with uh, Anthony Calvillo's offense. Uh, you've seen that offense evolve throughout the season, uh, Marsh. What have you noticed that AC is doing with, with uh, those guys on the offensive side that has really worked, you know, not just, you know, for the entire group, but for Trevor Harris specifically? Yeah, he's adapted to Anthony's line of thinking. Like, it, it hasn't even taken any effort whatsoever. It's like, I need you, when you see this, to put the ball here. And Trevor's like, sure, okay, did that with Jason Moss. That's no problem. Like, you can tell how comfortable Trevor is pre-snap and working in the pocket because he just he seems to know where to go with the ball. I will say this, though, and it's interesting having Enoch here in this conversation because I was fascinated. So I love watching playoff games because usually I'm up in the booth, thankfully, when I'm calling games, but obviously wasn't calling it. So I, I always pick a different place to watch playoff games from that I don't get to experience. They're different than just being up in the, in the media booth. And in Montreal, I've never watched a game from the stands before. So I ended up going down to uh, kind of like the low end zone at the opposite end of the scoreboard. So kind of like Hamilton's bench side of the field, if you will. And I'm watching from down low to try and get a sense of the line play and how Montreal was blocking up some of their running plays that you're talking about with Stanback and Fletcher. 
And increasingly what I kept coming away with on this was and, and they haven't done anything that I didn't expect. Like Montreal's entire first quarter in a bit where they had those three touchdowns on four offensive drives, it was like, hey, Regis Sibasu has come into the game. Oh, I wonder what he's doing. He lines up as a wide receiver and waggles down. Well, a big body receiver who has some experience playing tight end and fullback, he might be blocking. Oh, look, he cracked the end. Pierre-Olivier Lesage is around the edge. And there goes Walter Fletcher for a 33-yard rushing touchdown. And Hamilton's defense just did not seem to be, I don't know if it was prepared or reacting quick enough to it, but it was, I thought, really predictable. And then in the second half, you end up having <laughs> like a huge, Dina called this last week here on the show, said, who's going to get in control of the game and force the other team to abandon the run sooner? And that's exactly what happened where Hamilton was like, well, we got to sling our way back into this thing. And Montreal was like, well, AC has given us this offense where Trevor can go efficient and pick people apart with the same stuff that he's run the entire year. Didn't have to throw any curveballs in order to get that 22-6 lead. And now we're just going to run the ball basically the entire second half. He was one of two, Trevor was, in the fourth quarter of that game, and they won. He had three sacks in this, the end of the third quarter, start of the fourth quarter, and they won that football game. Like, they were able to just put the clamps down and finish that thing. And I think it's just because they trust that system, to your point, Donovan, that, that Calvio has put in so much. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, personally, I would like to see Montreal be forced to open it up, perhaps even chasing late in a game and really see what they can do. And the, the weird part of this is that if there's two dudes that you would trust with putting the ball up and just seeing if they can go and get it, make some plays for you, Dominique Grimes certainly would be in the conversation. Burnham, uh, you know, we've seen at various points, like Dagleton can go and be that guy for you. But Winicky has that weird ability to go do that. And we know that Gino is that guy. So it was almost disappointing for me to be on location watching the Eastern semifinal and watching them just salt away the win where I'm like, ah, oh, but you got playmakers all like, let's, let's let this thing fly a little bit, but that's not the style that Trevor and AC have adapted to right now. It's extremely, extremely formulaic. And, uh, and I find that to be interesting going up against the Toronto defense that has created a gazillion turnovers uh, so far this season uh, compared to everybody else. So that's, that's a really interesting matchup for me. Sure, Marsh, right? we, 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 we talk about the AC offense. And, and one of the things, now look, everything I'm going to say is, is very thought of thought through. I thought about it before. I mean, I have to be very careful here. I know that people are going to be listening. Uh, but I talked to my DC, and, and I didn't want to get too many of his thoughts in my head before we came on the show. But something that was glaring, something that, you know, um, AC really put on display uh, in that uh, semifinal was a fact. How many times have you watched the game and seen that many screens thrown? Um, the way that we that he was able to utilize the screen game to his advantage. I mean, uh, we talk about the running game. We talk about the three running backs and the the impact that they've had all season long for that offense. Um, but to me, I really saw that AC was utilizing the screen game as a as a running game almost. Uh, I mean, it was like second and short, second and two, and he was throwing screens for uh to to his receivers and they were doing a really good job and then just to keep the defense honest what he was doing was a little screen and go not necessarily just to uh to score a touchdown which which is which is what you usually see off of a screen pass a screen and go where a receiver goes down the field because the defense and the defensive backs are playing way too aggressive and they've seen it too much but it was just a little 
you know, dig route right over the middle for Jake Winnick. And he worked every single time. Now, they did that a couple of times against us when we were in Montreal a few weeks back. But they really committed to that, I think. And I believe, um, you know, watching the game, they threw about nine screens. Well, that's a, that's an absurd number of screens in one game and not to count the screen and goals. And so um, that was ex- uh, a little bit interesting to me. But, you know, hey, AC and Trevor Harris, like you talk about, Mars, are, are they on the same page. Well, listen, first of all, that might be uh, an obscene number of screens uh, in a game if you haven't watched your head coach. Obviously, you're watching the printouts and not watching your offense. Because I, I don't know if, if Dinwiddie has Marquise Ambles in fantasy, but there's nothing he loves more <laughs> than to throw a wide receiver screen to Ambles. doesn't matter the down or distance. My guy will call that one all the time. When I, I, I kid, uh, although there's truth in every joke, um, but you mentioned turnovers and how big uh, of a factor, you know, that potentially could have uh, in, in this game. And, you know, I, I, to me, that was going to be the litmus test. Coming in, Dane Evans led the CFL in turnovers. If he just kept that offense on the field and clean, there was going to be some spots for them to make some plays. If he turned it over and gave Montreal a short field, he was going to put that defense in, in harm's way. And I think that's what we saw. Is it too simplistic, Marsh, to say that is the same scenario for McLeod Bethel-Thompson going into this matchup? Uh, I think it might be too simplistic just because there's so many elements that will go into deciding who wins this game. But the turnover stuff to me, Donovan, is super interesting in this matchup with Toronto because, like I said, they're so good at taking the football away in a variety of different ways. But really, for me, it's the defensive backfield and 28 interceptions throughout the regular season, that's double the number that the Alouettes were able to get. And to go with that as well, the number that jumped out to me was last year in the Eastern Final against Hamilton, McLeod Bethel-Thompson was one of nine on pass attempts of 20 yards or more down the field. So when we talk about challenging vertically, those are always going to be big plays that could be interceptions, touchdowns, big defensive pass interference calls. The Alouettes have taken more defensive pass interference calls this year than anybody else in the league as well. And they don't intercept the football very well. So if I'm Toronto, who has 103 pass attempts of 20 yards or more on the air, which leads the Canadian Football League, I really want to challenge that back end of the Alouettes because they don't play it well in the air, they take penalties, and they don't pick you off. What do you got to lose? Like, take some of those shots, prevent some of those, the the want to go to the screens of Marquis Bambles, as you say, that they've done so much throughout the year. The problem is those 103 attempts has only been 33 completions on the year. Like, it's 32% essentially at this point, and that's a league low for McLeod in terms of pass attempts of 20 yards or more. Again, that's not the only thing that wins you games, but when we're talking about interceptions, turnovers, and how that plays such a big role, I do feel like if you're Toronto, you're playing with a little bit of house money here because Montreal is not real good at going up and making plays on the rock in the air. Uh, So I think that they can be a little bit more risky. I think they can take some more of those shots, and even if it's not a high completion percentage, as has been a problem throughout the year, you're more willing to take those shots when you feel as though it's not going to be a life or death situation where, okay, we might be incomplete on first down, but we can convert second and 10. We got Devaris Daniels over the middle. We got Curly Giddens Jr. making plays all over the place. So um, that to me might, might relax McLeod a little bit, honestly, going into this game. From coast to coast, Canadians have every reason to get outside and explore. That's where CF Moto Canada comes in. Value priced and with an outstanding five-year warranty, CF Moto ORVs are the best equipped on the market and the perfect ride to help Canadians experience more. 
Whether for work or play, there's a CF Moto side-by-side, ATV, or motorcycle to satisfy any outdoor enthusiast. Find your ride by visiting cfmoto.ca. Uh, you mentioned taking those shots, and a big question for me, with this Argos team in general, but you know, if we pinpoint it to the wide receivers room, is I don't know if I know who their best five is. I don't know if they know who their best five is. Certainly Daniels, Ginz Jr., and as I said, the star on Dinwiddie's fantasy team, Ambles, are the three. But, but, but who are the other two? Because there's been guys coming in and out of the lineup throughout the year to varying success at times. Marsh, do you know who their best five should be? I think <laughs> this is going to sound so biased because I came from McMaster. Tommy Neal is good. Like, Tommy Neal is, as a field wideout, I really like Tommy Neal's game. And the touchdown that he had against BC, I always laugh about this, where, and I, I hope Enoch appreciates this as a Canadian guy. It's like, the Canadian receivers in this league, I think a lot of the time, they get told to go sit in the corner and just wait for their opportunity. And almost every time you give them an opportunity, something really good happens. And then we're like, wow, look at that guy. And it's like, why are we saying wow? Like, Kaon Julian Grant is one of the best receivers in this game for Montreal. Like, it's of, of all the Tyson Philpot is the same as that. Tommy Neal to me is not on that level, but I think he is that, that wide side guy. And then I, I think, honestly, Juwan Breskison, I know that it's been an injury battle and all the rest, but I'd like to see him get at least half the snaps if they're in the five receiver package because I thought that he came on well at the end of the year and he brings a different dynamic. We know, like, the big body, the crossing routes, the stuff over the middle. If you've got Ambles on quick screens, DeVaro Stanley's running 10-yard outs and digs. You got Breskison running crossing routes over the middle. You get your vertical shots to Curly Gitt, and It's like, now we got a game plan. Now we can start to mix and match and make people question and make the free safeties look in different places because you got all these threats and all these different layers of the defense. So uh, I think that, that that would be nice to see. Uh, the other one that I think honestly does not get nearly enough usage, and it's not as a receiver, but just as an overall offensive philosophy, Declan Cross is one of the best fullbacks in the Canadian Football League. Like, the way that he leverages guys and works people and can make plays for you, albeit sparingly. I think I saw a tweet tonight that the only the fullbacks in Toronto have like eight targets over the last two years or something like that. So I would love to see a little bit of that four receiver, one fullback, one running back set, perhaps. Who that one running back is, Donovan, uh, <laughs> depending on what we see through practice throughout this week, uh, we will find out whether it's Sandra Harris or AJ Ouellette. But I think... If, if I'm Toronto and I've looked at the offensive personal packages that have been used, it's primarily the five receiver, one running back set. I'd like to see a little bit of fullback stuff mixed in as well. Maybe it's a bit of a change of pace. Uh, but yeah, figuring out their best five. I mean, there's going to be, I think, as you say, three guys are a lock. I think Neil is probably a lock at that fourth spot on the wide side. That fifth spot, I think you're going to see two or three different names rolling through depending on what the depth chart looks like on Saturday. Yeah, and one of the names you didn't mention, uh, which in the offseason people assumed you would mention in a big way, would be Brandon Banks. So certainly it'll be fascinating to see uh, who, who is lining up. And, and the, the running back scenario is fascinating. The fact that Andrew Harris is even in this conversation, I think, is a testament to you know his resilience. Uh, but uh, his understudy has done a pretty good job. I'm not sure how many... Uh, times I've seen them dump it down to him in second and forever. 
Uh, and he found a way to, on his own, you know, have a BYOB party and bring your own blocker and figure out a way to move the sticks. And so uh, who's getting uh, those reps? Because I don't know, did you pay Andrew Harris all that money for him to be in a timeshare? But at the same, at the same time, did you, you know, really, you know, when it's winning time, go away from a guy who has been productive in the past and run game uh, and has been playing football uh, for the last couple of months and not, you know, rehabbing to get back? So fascinating, fascinating questions. Okay, as we, we wrap this up, Enoch, I'm not going to ask you who's going to win. Uh, I, I mean, you're, you're you know, no, do, it. Issued, do it. It's, it's team issued polo. Let us know who you believe is going to win. Maybe I, should, maybe I should ask you how much you'll win by, but uh, even that, I'm going to say something stupid like 100 to nothing. Um, you know, uh, IMG Academy versus, you know, some school that didn't exist <laughs> two weeks ago. Um, Don't do it. Don't uh, do it, uh, But, uh, you know, the, the one thing that, uh, you know, the Argos have to focus on to be successful, that would be the last thing that said, you know, the team – uh, before the team leaves the locker room uh, on Sunday will be what? The most important thing is really going to be um, uh, effort. is going to be execution and uh, focusing on the details. Um, I talked about specifically on from defensive perspective what Anthony Calvillo is doing over there, what um, the, 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 the synergy that he has with Trevor Harris. They're really uh, one mind thinking out there. And so – uh, we'll have to be on the same page as well, and we'll have to execute at an extremely high level. And, uh, we, you know, we can't afford to have any mistakes. Um, he's going to take advantage of those, and he's going to um, to hurt us. Um, and he's got guys, he's got weapons, he's got threats all around him, and he's going to be capable to do that. Now, we're going to be um, ready to get our hands on the balls like you talked about, Marsh. And, uh, you know, we're excited, and we take extreme pride in the fact that we led the league in, in interceptions and, uh, um, you know, turnovers or whatnot. But, um, you know, we know that we're going to have to play the best game that we've had all season um, because that team is going to be prepared. I'm glad you finally got to a good answer because I wanted to, you know, reach through this Wi-Fi connection and slap you when you said effort and execution. Like what football team in the history of football was like, you know what, guys, effort and execution, not going to be a big deal this week. Let, let me expound on that. Let me expound on that, though. I talked about the screen game and how much you use it. I know you talked about, you know, what what Wynn and I always talk about is the Marquise special where, you know, Coach Dinwiddie dials up, you know, 17 down, you know, uh, for two yards down uh, to the right or to the left. And he every single game, you'll see that about two or three times. Now, it's not going to be nine times, but, you know, the only way that you can defeat a team that runs a lot of screens is going to be effort. It's going to be lots of effort. You're going to have to run to the ball. Um, I'm talking about the defensive line, and a lot of the times, and what I've seen on film has been the fact that, you know, the offensive line will leave the defensive lineman and go to the linebackers and the guys that they believe and think that will get to the ball, to the screen, whether it's a DB or a linebacker closest to the screen, and they'll let the, the, the defensive lineman. I already sat down with all the defensive linemen um, uh, and talked to them about just that, how much effort we will need from them. It's not going to be one of those games where, you know, hey, the ball is thrown and it's a screen and so and you just jog to the ball. We will need all their effort in order to play against uh, – to be competitive against this team. Recognition well, too, though. I want to mention that. Like, it's the recognition of that stuff on the screen. Again, watching that game in Montreal, I just have to throw this in though, because it's like, wow, Tyson Philpot is slowly waggling behind a three-pack of receivers as they go quads to the field. I wonder where the ball's going. Oh, look, Trevor flipped it out to Tyson Philpot in the screen. It's like if you realize where guys have been targeted throughout the year, 
and you see the way that they're motioning to those things, you know, saying like, yeah, it's effort, it's execution. It's seeing the motions and being like, guys, like we've watched enough film. We know where they're going. And obviously you can't jump stuff and guess and all the rest. Cause that's where you get in trouble. But I just feel like, man, there's, <laughs> I don't need to tell Enoch this certainly, but there's so much stuff Montreal's run in the year where I would be salivating if I was the middle linebacker and I had watched a ton of tape because I'm like, I feel like I know everything that's coming and I can just start screaming at people where to go and when to get there. That's and, our and new that's the, Enoch. That's the, need that, those that's keys. The, that's the huge challenge, Marsh. Um, you know, from the film that I've been watching, and I'm and I'm, I, you know, I'll say this confidently and even out loud because I don't think that they're going to change much. They're going to be who they are, and and I truly believe that they believe in their scheme and believe in in their attack. I mean, they love and and they believe in that screen attack. And even some of the times that they'll show bubble screen and they'll have a little shovel play in the back, and it's tough to guard it. You can see it, but the way that they block it, they have a really good way of doing so. That even the people that who who recognize it, who typically would recognize, like the middle linebacker, they have a alignment that jumps to them right away. If you watch the film, you'll see that. And so you know, it's going to be incumbent upon you know, the rest of the whole defense really to, like you talked about, have great awareness and recognition for um, all the different plays that they're, they're going to throw at us. Well, I think it's it, the, the operative word is awareness, as you mentioned. It kills me when you have a D-end who's being stoned by a tackle for three quarters and all of a sudden uh, you just whipped him and then it's like, oh, wait, it's a screen over my head. Like uh, you fell for the banana in the tailpipe. You have to understand uh, there should be some awareness as to what's going on. So whether or not we see that awareness will be fascinating to watch. Marsh, do not let Enoch bully you. This is a safe space. Uh, give us your prediction for the football game. <laughs> this is a safe space. Um, I mean, only because the talented middle linebacker on the other side can't hit me because we're doing this virtually. Uh, you know what? I think Montreal, when I... Wow, Marsh. No, 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 no. Wow. Let, 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 <laughs> Wow. He just said the name don't, of a city. I want to know. I want to know where you're going to be watching from the side this week. No, I was going to say you call him again. To Donovan, are you to watching Donovan's from the sideline? I, I, I would say, won't you come on our sideline, Roy? <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I'm just going to start listing random names. You know, in Prince George, I think uh, <laughs> you know, Kamloops is beautiful this time. You know, it's going to be like Kamloops is not going to win against me. Uh, no, I. I believe that when I was uh, assessing who was going to win in the Eastern semifinal, I I went on some different podcasts early in the week, and I was kind of saying, you know, Hamilton, I think Hamilton. And the more I started looking into it, I was like, man, there's a lot that has to go right for Hamilton to win this game because I just felt like if Montreal was able to execute their plan, which they did to a T in that Eastern semifinal, that Montreal was going to be able to win the game. I didn't see them putting the clamps down and finishing it the way they did, but for the most part, that thesis of there's a lot that has to go right for Hamilton here in order to get out of the status quo of Montreal was close to being correct. In this game, the way I feel about it is that Montreal wants to play by that same formula. Enoch just said they are who they are. They trust what they are. They believe in it. They have systems. That's great. But I really do think that Toronto has the capability to make Montreal uncomfortable like to force Montreal into doing things that they don't want to do, which is fourth quarter have to open it up to try and trail from behind and get out of using the stand back and Fletcher and Antwi and uh, an extra offensive lineman and like to get them out of those things in halfway through the third quarter trailing by nine. I just feel like if Toronto can get the game to that point where Montreal is 
chasing uncomfortable and not able to lean on the things that they want to lean on as they did in the second half of the Eastern semifinal, then Toronto is able to come away with the victory. And I think they'll be able to do that. I do. I, I think this is, this could be a marquee moment for McLeod as well for somebody who everybody says is he could win you the, the biggest game of the year and he could lose you a game that where he's going to get upset by a team. He should never even be dealing with. He's, the best quarterback on the worst team or the worst quarterback on the... We just have this thing with McLeod where it seems like everybody wants to make him this mystery. And I'm like, well, what if he just comes out and, and balls and throws for 400 yards and three touchdowns and they go up by 18 and they, they go into the Grey Cup that way? I'm like, that would send a pretty clear and interesting message for me on, on the future of that position in Toronto as well as we're wondering where all of these chairs are going to spin around. So I think Toronto, I think McLeod's going to have a really good game and I think Toronto's defensive secondary is going to make a couple of plays on the footballs they have all year and give Toronto some short fields potentially that could help early on in this game. Fascinating answer. I hope our audience was able to hear it and not hear your voice quivering because Enoch was trying to bully you uh, to say the, <laughs> the answers he wanted to hear. And your best point is right on because sometimes – you know, he is both the quarterback who can win you the game by himself and lose you the game by himself in the same game. And so whether or not we see uh, the Jekyll and Hyde of McLeod Bethel-Thompson, in a way, he's kind of like the Maple Leafs. Super polarizing uh, and is really good at times and really bad at times. So uh, we'll see if, unlike the Maple Leafs, uh, he's hoisting some silverware. Uh, we will be doing this again, Great Cup Week. Enoch will be there. Whether or not he has a helmet and pads with him, we will find out, but I'm, I'm fascinated to see him with those helmet and pads on as he tries to get back to the Great Cup. Thanks for this, Val.